0: But policies make things clear to people, right? So what happens if you need to take some time off? And what happens if you need to go and sick leave? And who do you tell? And what do you, who do you talk about? And that makes sure that everybody understands what's expected the expectation is the same across the board and so there's no questions about well how come Bob gets to do it that way when you ask me this instead um so I think those things are really important but they are only a foundation you have to lead people based on who they are so just having process won't help you um you know cover all the bases you still need to get to know your people and understand who they are um the the foundation is the process and then the you know the connections the cherry on top
1: Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. On today's episode of Beyond the Tools, I'm interviewing one of my favorite people on this planet, Jess Chapman. Jess is the owner of E3 Consulting and E3 Online, and she unlocks the potential of your people. Basically, Jess deals with all that tough people stuff and trying to get people to work better together. I've been fortunate to work with Jess for over five years now. She's been my business coach, and honestly, she's really made me the leader that I am today. She's helped me with all the tough decisions, putting structure around how I work with my employees, and she's also helped our team to better understand our clients and be able to serve them better. Jess is my first call whenever I have a tough people issue in my business, and we cover so much in this interview. I really think this is a must listen. In this interview, we talk about a number of different things, but first of all, and probably most importantly, we talk about attracting workers. Given the shortage of workers in this industry, this is so crucial for your business. But not only attracting them, we also talking about keeping them happy. How do you make sure that they're engaged? We talk about giving feedback and recognition and building up your workplace culture. And we also talk about how your leadership has to change as your company grows. There's a lot in this interview. I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's dive right in. Today, we have my dear friend, my coach, my client, secret weapon in my business. Welcome to Beyond the Tools, Jess. Thank you very much, Crystal. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> I like it when awesome. you call me your secret weapon.
0: I think that's a very nice thing to say, so thank you.
1: Oh, well, I hope after this episode you will be less of a secret weapon. Well, still a secret weapon to me, but, you know, the masses will know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jess, I find... A lot of the clients that I work with really struggle on the people side of their business. And that's why I brought you in today. That's why I'm super excited to dive into this. But, you know, in many markets and in most markets, there is a critical shortage of skilled workers and a lot of our listeners are struggling to find the right people. And it's especially tough if they're looking to grow quickly. So what do you think contracting companies can do to attract more of the right people? So before so there's there's two reasons why
0: you need to attract people. Um one is to replace people and one is for growth. So th- the first question I always have for folks is around um, do you have a retention issue? And I'll, I'll talk about that perhaps a bit later. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't, if you're pu- purely trying to find people because you're growing really quickly, well, first of all, awesome and good job. Um, secondly, there's a, f- there's a few things to pay attention to. So I think particularly in in the world, and I'll, I'll use the term construction to denote all kinds of things th- that fall into being on the tools. Um, mm-hmm. It's really easy to go after Looking for the technical skills that you need to grow a business, so you know you might need someone who with electrical or plumbing or HVAC background. And because you see very clearly the gaps that you need in order to to get those people in, that's kind of what you go after and what you look for. But we're missing a trick if we do that. We're missing a piece around looking at the broader fit for the company and people that are going to be happy in your company and therefore stay in your company. So mm-hmm. um, the more that you can think about, kind of. What you want is the whole package for somebody, the more likely you are to find someone who wants to be in your organization and then stays a long time. Um, And part of that also then means being able to articulate what's different about your organization to other places. So that world of being on the tours is quite competitive, right? That that one, you know, doing electrical can feel like you're doing electrical in one company. It's no difficult, different than doing electrical somewhere else. But if you can differentiate your organization, then you have a better chance of attracting people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good or for bad in some parts of the world, the bar is quite low for that. So you have quite an, you know right. quite a good opportunity to, to set yourselves apart. It costs, you know, if you want to attract somebody, so back to the kind of retention idea, if somebody is going to leave if somebody's not happy in your organization it only takes a five percent increase in their pay for them to think about going But if they're happy, if they're getting other things from your organization that are important to them, it takes 20% more salary for them to consider going. So if you can think about what's important to the people that you are going to hire, if you can think about culture of the organization, if you have good leadership in the organization, those things will start to set you apart and make it easier for you to both get and keep the people that you want to keep so you know it's very easy to think about just the technical aspects of doing the job but in today's world actually we have to consider quite a bit more than that
1: right so it's almost like you know i think our listeners get needing to market the business to customers but from an attraction for the employee side of things it's really about marketing themselves as an employer and what they have to offer as an employer Absolutely, and you
0: know that's something of a new concept for folks um, mm-hmm. and we we now talk about all the same kinds of things to employees as we do to to customers, so we'll talk about an employee value proposition. Why would I join you if I am a journeyman electrician and I can you know walk into num- number of different companies in my area and get a job? what sets your organization apart from any other and, and quite often. That's not necessarily pay related. So pay does matter. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, what you pay people doesn't count because it does. But as long as your ballpark There's lots of other things that matter to people as well. So flexibility, what it's like working with people who they work with on a day-to-day basis, what the leadership is like in the organization. So what happens if they make mistakes or get things wrong, how much professional development there is. So there's lots of ways to, even if you're a small organization, to differentiate yourself without breaking the bank and trying to pay people a, a ton of money all the time.
1: Right. That makes sense. So what about if you have an existing team and you're really trying to keep people for the long term, what are some of the things that you should consider or what you need to do to be able to retain that talent? So I think the
0: two, probably the two things I see most Clearly, um, I mean, we talk about, what we're talking about is engagement, right? It's a term that we use to talk about being really connected to your organization to the point that you want to stay. You want to stay and you're invested in not just what you do every day, but but trying to make the organization better. And, you know, if you want people to be connected to your organization, you have to be connected to them. So, you know, it's often the reason why people end up hiring people they know, because they already have that connection level with them. Um, And we can talk about the pros and cons of that. Um, But you need to know who your people are, right? And you need to have regular touch points with them. And that can get challenging when you're the person trying to run the company and you've come off the tools and you're not on the job site with them, you don't see them all the time. So making sure you create a touch point, making sure that people have access to you. They often join the organization because of you, right? They enjoyed you or your culture, your style, your approach. If you've moved away from the tools, if you're now focusing on working on the business rather than working in the business, then they're not that perhaps getting the access to you in the same way anymore. So that's an important thing to think about as you add more and more people to the team. Are you still creating in the culture that you had when you were the person that kind of led everybody um and then the other thing I'd say is growth. So a lot of people in the in the world we're talking about today are in it to build their technical ability. Right, They want to become the journeyman. They're working through the, the school and the education they need to have to become an expert in their field. So making sure that you support that growth and that's part of the package that they get when they're in your organization is going to be key. It might not differentiate you, um, but if you don't have it, it certainly will set you apart.
1: Right. That makes sense. Okay. And I think there's a lot that we can kind of expand on there, but I'll start with, you know, if I'm, if I own a contracting business, maybe I've got a crew and one person in the office, like how does that change or how should my approach as a leader change as I start to add on more people, like you were saying, and I'm, I'm getting further away from doing the work and being on the job site every day. What do I need to consider?
0: So a couple of things to think about are where do you want to have oversight and control? So if you're not going to the job site all the time, then there is a piece of how do you ensure everything is being done the way it should be I mean oftentimes when we're talking about this type of work the profit margin on a project may not be very big right so the the team being able to do the work to the right quality and do it quickly um, being able to not overuse materials and make mistakes can have a significant impact on the the profit level you're going to make out of a project. But if you're not on site, then who is paying attention to that kind of stuff? Who is making sure the team's okay? Who's checking in? So if you're not, you know, if you're not there physically present, then somebody needs to be doing those pieces for you, which is where, you know, foreman originally came in. Your crew may or may not be, big enough to warrant a formal foreman but somebody needs to be doing that that type of activity for you and in the way you would do it so you know it's okay for people to have different styles and approaches but you want them to fit with your general way that you run the company and how you want the team to, team to be treated so making sure you're passing off those responsibilities to somebody else matters but also then what do you have in place to help you navigate that so how do you check in on the quality of a job? What reports do you get on things? How do you maintain the control over the product that you're putting out there when you're not the one doing the work all the time? And that, I mean, that challenge is no different no matter what small business you're in. Um, But where so much is predicated on the quality of work in this type of world, having those controls becomes really important. So, those two things off the top of my head. um, I think, too, there is a difference between leading the team on the ground on the site and the person in the office they all need the same thing but they're not in you know the people that aren't in the office are not going to see you they're not necessarily going to be around day in day out to have questions answered to be able to for you to see if they're not doing so well um for you to understand what might be going on with them personally that might be affecting how they show up at work so you have to be more intentional about connecting with the folks that aren't in the office all the time uh, and find those ways to ensure that they feel just as connected to you as they always did
1: right yeah that makes sense so In that regard, I guess going back to what you were saying about being able to set the expectations of how you want things done, I know that I had a client before who was a home builder, but also like very heavily involved in commercial construction. And his analogy to me was always that, you know, if you get a flight, like the pilot has a checklist, even though he's been flying for like 20 years and it's a high stakes situation, like they always have a checklist. So they approach their business the same way. So how important do you think those systems and processes are as the company starts to grow?
0: So I actually think um that process it becomes really important. Um now that doesn't mean you have to be super good at it, because there's lots of people who can help with those things. I'm certainly not a process person myself. Um, but as you scale, the consistency side of things becomes important. You know, that we lose profitability, we lose efficiency, we lose um you know, quality when people can pick and choose, right? And it's not about limiting people's creativity or you know forcing people to do everything the same way. It's about ensuring that we do things the right way that makes sense for the business. So, having processes about how you want things to be done um, can can minimise that, and it also ensures that you are more equitable and fair in the way that things get dealt with. So, if I think about the like fully on the people side of things, having some you know. Everybody hates the word policies, and I'm not a big fan of policy. I think you can lead without them. But policies – make things clear to people, right? So what happens if you need to take some time off? And what happens if you need to go on sick leave? And who do you tell? And who do you talk about? And that makes sure that everybody understands what's expected. The expectation is the same across the board. And so there's no questions about, well, how come Bob gets to do it that way when you ask me this instead? Um, So I think those things are really important. But they are only a foundation. You have to lead people based on who they are. So just having process won't help you. You know, cover all the bases. You still need to get to know your people and understand who they are. Um, The the foundation is the process, and then the you know the connections, the cherry on top.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I find you know, there's broadly there's kind of two types of contracting business owners. There's one who comes at it more from like a business approach. Maybe they weren't actually on the tools ever. They come in, they start a construction company because they see an opportunity. But then there's also the other type that, you know, they worked on the tools, they started just themselves, and then kind of organically, they started to add people. How do you learn about being a proper leader? Because what I find is that oftentimes, because it, on that side of things, because it happens so organically, maybe they're hiring people they know. And now that they've started to build a team, then it's you know running into people issues and not having those structure and framework in place.
0: Uh, that and that's a great question. And remind me to come back to hiring people. You know, sure, because yeah. I do see that a lot. And you know, I totally get why people do it. Um, there's some things to think about if you're going to go down that path. Um, with you know <clears throat> the leadership, it's interesting. We, we do what we see, right? So if you've never undertaken any kind of leadership development. You're going to go on gut and you're going to do what the person did to you that you thought was all right. So, if you had a leader that was half decent, you're probably going to emulate a lot of what they did. That doesn't necessarily mean it's working in your organization, your context for your people. It's not, but it's not a bad place to start. Um, if you are thinking, sitting there thinking, you know what, the whole side of, and, and a lot of people who start small businesses are the same. I, You know, you get into the business because you like doing the job and then you find yourself leading people, which is not at all. What you originally used to do, and it is a completely different set of skills. So, if you're finding yourself in that situation and you're thinking, you know, geez, I'm an electrician, and now I've got to talk to people about being here on time, and you know, not shouting to customers, or you know, not getting fed up when things don't go their way, and that kind of stuff, and getting on with their crewmates, you know, the simplest thing to say is train, training, close the gap. So, go get some leadership development. There's plenty out there. We do it. Lots of people do it. Um, if that doesn't work for you, get you know go, go find that person who was a good leader to you. Ask them to be a sounding board and a mentor and bounce things off them. Get a second perspective on how you might tackle a situation and If you don't have a lot of budget for the training side of things, read stuff or watch stuff If you're not a reader, there's loads of really good articles. I would read some of the Harvard Business Review stuff on leadership is is good and not as complicated as one thinks it might be. There's some really good books out there. If you're not a book person, um, not some people aren't. A lot of books today have YouTube videos. So, you know, think about the things that you know are your weak spots, just like you would do if it was technical skills. You wouldn't go, oh, well, I don't know how to wire that in, so I'm not going to bother. You'd be like, okay, how do I learn to do that? The same is true from a leadership perspective. If it's not what you've learned to do, then go get the skills that you need to do it really well.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. And I think, you know, even myself when I started my business cuz I loved social media and then I started adding people and then I was like, "Oh wait, I have no clue what I'm doing." <laughs> so, I think that's super important to actually seek out that help because um and and to go back to the example of hiring people you know, so we'll talk about that, but when I first started, I think about six months, eight months in, I hired a good friend of mine. Now we had worked together through university. So I knew that that was a good match and it worked out really well, but it, it could have gone the other way. And one of the things with her, when she did move on to another opportunity was that, you know, I asked for feedback and she said, well, I never really knew what good was. And it made me think about like, I don't know how to give feedback. I don't know what you know, regular checkpoints and objectives I need to put in place. So that was a big kind of light bulb moment for me.
0: Yeah. Well, feedback is, feedback is hard, right? Like I don't, we don't have a single client group Or a single client in any of the businesses in any of the sectors that we work in that would go yeah i love feedback feedback rocks like nobody (laughs) enjoys those conversations because we're not talking about the pat on the back right we're not no one has an issue with yeah well done good job we have the challenge with oh that's not what i was looking for how do i let the person know that they're doing something that's not where it should be in a way that works for them now I do find that tend, tend to find that in the construction world people have a bit of a thicker skin around that, so you might find that it's actually not as difficult to um, to have some of those conversations. People are expecting to get critiqued on on the technical side a bit more than we sometimes see in, in an office type environment um, but we're all still human feedback isn't feedback isn't easy and i mean i teach this stuff right like we i spend my day coaching people and helping people with it it doesn't mean i like it either um but there are some things you can do to make it a bit easier so feedback needs to be normal um which means you need to do it and that that's the first thing i'd say like if you haven't been giving people feedback the first time you start to give people feedback it's a bit of a surprise so you can't really be shocked if they're not entirely sure how to take the feedback or they have a bit of a, you know, responsible reaction to it. But the more that you think about giving people feedback and, and, and making it a normal part of your process the less, you know, the less worrisome it becomes for people and the more receptive they are. So, you know, don't, don't not do it. And, and the statistics show that only about a third of people really feel like they get feedback but about two thirds or more wish they got more. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there, like your friend going, well, I'm not in a bad spot and I like my job, but I would like a bit more clarity on this. I'd like to, I'd actually like to know a bit more, but it's harder to ask the boss to tell you stuff um, than it is for you to just, you know, ask if you can and have a conversation about it. So the more that you can try to make feedback normal for people, the better. And, you know, I could spend a long time on, you know, tips and tricks around feedback, but the simplest thing I'd say is if you're doing it for the right reason, that will show, right? Like if you're not showing up in the conversation annoyed, if you're not – You know, if you're not having the conversation with someone to make a point that they did something wrong, if you're sitting down with them because you've got some suggestions about how they can do things better and they need to adjust the way that they do things and you want them to be successful, that will show up in the conversation. So whether you've got the best script or anything doesn't really matter. It's your headspace that counts. So don't have the conversation when you're annoyed. Um, Have it when you can sit down and, and, you know, help the person see the impact they're having and figure out how they can do it differently next time around.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And you've been instrumental for me in <laughs> framing those conversations around feedback. And I don't remember what book it was that I read, but I really like this bit when you're giving feedback to kind of state your intention. So one of the things is, um, you know, I'm not looking to criticize you. I'm trying to coach you. So to actually name what it is you're doing, as opposed to if you are trying to have a more serious conversation. I know you've given me scripts around, you know, I'm deeply concerned about and those types of things.
0: And a lot of it comes down to connection, right? Like, so, you know, without getting too far into the science of it, as human beings, we are wired to connect to other people. You see it everywhere you go, clubs, football groups, hockeys, you know, hockey Um, groups. Those are all tribes, right? Those are all people that we feel a need to connect to. The more connected we are to somebody, um, the less wound up we get by more serious or difficult conversations. So, it's funny because what tends to happen is people think, oh, the better they know someone, the more concerned they are about saying those things to people or being brutally honest with somebody. but actually, the more that somebody knows you are invested in them and care about them, the, the better those conversations will generally go because their brain goes, oh, well, you know, Steve would only say that to me if if he care. you know, I know Steve cares about me, so he must be telling me this for good reason. If they don't have a good relationship with you, then they often that's the, where the intention becomes really helpful because they don't know, right? When they, when they know you and trust you, they trust what you're telling them. If they don't know you as well, if you can be clear about what you're trying to do in the conversation, Conversation that generally makes it a lot easier for everybody. But a lot of it is is practice and relationships. So yeah, go for it.
1: Perfect. So okay, we hinted about this a couple of times. So let's dive into it. What's the issue with hiring friends and family? So there can be none. It can be utterly
0: brilliant and the best thing that you ever did. Um, and I should say that because I have a family member who works in my business. Um, but there are the, the the issue for me like with most things is expectations and boundaries so sometimes when we hire people we really know we're doing so with an expectation of what that person is going to bring to our company that may not be the same as what they think they're bringing to our company um so i'm working with a client right now who has actually two of her very good friends in her business um and one it works spectacularly well with and the other one it doesn't. And the difference largely is um, clarity on role and, and clarity on where the line is on friend versus colleague. So, she's the boss, they both work for her. One of them is very good at knowing, okay, Sue's made the decision it's now time for me to put my employee hat on and say, Yep, yeah, boss has decided and off I go. The other one still slides into perhaps arguing with Sue as in the same way that she would if they were friends having a drink at the pub. So, you know, you need to be really clear on the um the rules of engagement when you're in the workplace. And and, you know, have some conversations, too, about the impact. So, you know, what happens if it doesn't go well? What happens if, you know, the person you bring in can't do the job you want them to do? What happens if you need to exit them from the business? How does that affect your friendship? Or if they're family member, how are you going to handle that? Because, you know, the family doesn't go anywhere. So, you know, you don't want – you bring somebody into your business with the best of intentions and you do so – expecting to have the same type of relationship that you have with them when they're a friend, but they're not a friend when they come into your business anymore. So you have to set the ground rules around that and make sure everybody's on the same page. And it can even be more confusing. So I had somebody come work for me who who was a friend of mine, they were actually a peer, a colleague in the same organization. And then they moved into my team. And so the dynamic has to change. And I had those conversations and I thought that we were very clear on, you know, I wasn't going to be able to sit down and have a chat about how how bad my day was with her anymore because that's not an appropriate, you know, thing to be doing. You can do it a little bit with your team, but I wouldn't have certainly done it in the same way I would have done with a colleague or a peer. Um, but after a couple of weeks she came in and she said, you know, things are very different now and we had to have and she was confused. And I said, Yeah, let's let's sit down and have a conversation about it. So we went out for a coffee and I talked about it. And I talked about, you know, what what I thought about it as her as my peer or my friend and then her in my team and how those things are different for me. And we settled on a middle ground. So, you know, some of it is just about also when you start to see the signs of maybe this isn't working the way you thought, don't leave it. Make sure that you pick up on that and go have the conversations and nip things in the bud early.
1: Yeah, I think that's you know a good piece of advice across the board. Sometimes it can be really easy to avoid issues or like not have those direct yeah. conversations as a whole. But if you have them early then it can prevent a lot of stress later down the road yeah i mean you don't you wouldn't leave Yeah, you know that you shouldn't leave medical
0: issues right if you've got something going on you don't put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off because you know it's going to get worse people are no different it's just we often get into the headspace i think of the the expected challenge of having the conversation outweighs the benefit that we think we're going to get from doing it. Like, oh, that person's going to be really upset if I talk to them about this or this is going to be really awkward. So I'm putting it off, right? That's how our brain's wired. So if you can focus on the benefit of getting what you're going to get out of that conversation and focus on Rather than focusing on how bad it could be, focus on how good it could be. What could be the awesome relationship that you have with this person if you can tackle this conversation and both come out the other side? Because they can be transformative conversations that shape somebody's career. Like some of the conversations I've had with people have been things they've come back to me on years later. And I haven't even necessarily remembered the conversation because I was just giving somebody feedback. And they're like, you know, when you said this to me, it really changed the way that I thought about this. Like I had a gentleman who I haven't seen in Probably six years now, and I bumped into him. Newfoundland is a small place. I bumped him to him in in Costco, and he said, "You know that thing you said to me that day on the leadership program that really opened my eyes." And I was sitting there thinking, "I have no idea what you're talking about." Um, But I'd given him a piece of feedback around um, a task that he did that everybody else said that he did well, and I said, "You did it well, but you can do it way better. Um, You have loads of potential, and yeah, like what you did is decent. I can't say it's not, but I, you know, I expect." I can expect more from you. So, I, you know, give me more. And he said he'd never had anybody kind of challenge him like that. And it kind of really made him think about whether he was doing everything he could do and what he wanted to be and where he wanted to go in the organization. And as a result, he's now a senior director. I was just giving feedback. So, those conversations can really make not just a fundamental difference to your organization and how you work together, which is in and of itself brilliant but can actually be really transformational for the people that work with you
1: yeah as a recovering avoider uh this really (laughs) resonates with me (laughs)
0: yeah it is hard right like you're not going to swing the pit. like if this is not your thing if you like have the whole ugh feeling when you're going to have these conversations and you've been putting them off for most of your life you're not going to listen to a Twenty-minute podcast with Jess, and suddenly turn the dial to. That's like that's not going to happen. So ease into it. Pick, focus on giving a bit more positive recognition first. Get more specific in the positive stuff that you're giving with people, so they get used to you having conversations with them about how they're doing and the, you know, the good stuff nobody ever minds hearing. So start there and then start to balance it. So I really loved, you know, I thought what you did with that client was great. I thought you handled their, you know, their questions really well. I was thinking though, you could have done this a little bit differently over here, right? So, you know, you don't need to suddenly go from zero to a hundred, start finding a way into those conversations that makes you feel comfortable.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's awesome, Jess. And I think that's a great place to end off. You had so much um, amazing insight today. So I thank you for sharing that with us. But if somebody's listening to this, and they're like, you know what, I really need help on the people side of my business, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
0: So they can reach out to us through the website, which is e3.ca, or they can drop me an email at jchapman at e3.ca.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, Jess. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond the Tools. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love if you could also share this episode with a fellow contractor who is ready to get off the tools and grow their business. And if you want more leads, sign up for our email list at reflectivemarketing.com, where we share weekly marketing insights that you can't get anywhere else. I'm Kurtzel Hobbs, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode of Beyond the Tools. See you next time.